This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes, as well as some of the challenges they faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Today, we're speaking with Simon Rewadi, the co-founder of Australia's leading athleisure agency, Slyletica. They build brands for influencers and entrepreneurs looking to turn their creative vision into a world-class fashion label. In the episode, you'll hear about Simon's business journey and how the brand Slyletica came to be what it is today. We will look into the world of e-commerce, influencers and the future of technology. You'll learn about the challenges he has overcome throughout the journey and hear some crazy tales along the way. Let's jump in. Welcome to The Bottom Line, Simon. It's a pleasure to be interviewing you today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate your time. Before we start, tell me a little about you and your journey that led to you establishing Slyletica and now the Sly Group. <laughs> How long have we got, mate? Uh, we can talk forever. We yeah, can make yeah. it a five-part series post-production uh, no, if you like. Do that. I don't think anyone wants to hear my voice for nah. that long. <laughs> a little bit about me. Well, I'm co-founder and CEO of Slyletica, which is a product-based agency based out of here in Melbourne. We specialize in branding and developing mainly activewear and athleisure wear. But prior to getting into that, I was in a completely different world of sales, in particular property development and off the plan sort of house and land package, even prior to that real estate sales. So my background is in sales and I've been doing that all the way through my early career, started out as a receptionist in a property management firm and then worked my way up through to office manager. At the time, I was probably way too young to be an office manager, but that was the title they gave me in hindsight. A lot of experiences doing that and then moved to development sales and then into launching my own fashion business, which is the natural thing that you do after you start in real estate, you go into fashion. (laughs) How did that come about? Obviously, you didn't go from property to sales to fashion straight off the bat. Something must have happened. Where did that come about? That's right. And when I say fashion, I use that word very loosely. It's very different to fashion as I know it today. At the time, it was about eight years ago now, I wanted to launch an online business. And at the time, I was very passionate about fitness. I thought I would love to do an online fitness activewear or gymwear brand. So I went to my best friend at the time, who's now my business partner and also wife. I mean, we shared a passion for the same things. She was heavily into fitness, as was I but she was also a lot more fashionable than me. So we decided to put our heads together and launch an online activewear label, which doesn't exist anymore, but at the time it was called STFU Fitness, which stood for Shut the Fuck Up <laughs> Fitness, which in, again, in hindsight, is probably not the best name in the world. Well, um, if FCUK can do it. Why yeah, can't correct, you? <laughs> right? And, and that's what I said. <laughs> so we launched that and we ran that for about three years with some success towards it, but with definitely a lot of challenges, having not been in fashion, not been in product development, not been in e-commerce at all. This was very early days, it was eight years ago, so very early days of Instagram. Facebook was definitely the way to go. We had to learn how to run Facebook ads. I didn't even know you could do Facebook ads. So huge learning experience during those three years of launching our own label. Once we started having success, we came up with an idea 
from people asking us for assistance in developing what we had just done. So we had a lot of friends, a lot of family and a lot of gym owners actually ask us to help them either develop apparel for their gym using our supply chain network or actually help them launch their own labels. And so we decided at the time to actually launch an agency that did exactly that. And that's how Slyletica was born, which is what our brand is today. That's five, six years ago now, 2015. So actually almost seven years ago. And that's where we are today. So naturally we went from having our own label to having an agency that assisted other people in doing what we had just done. That's a really good story. Was that the path you went down on? Initially, you obviously built your own, sold it. Is that sort of something that happened again? You're like, people are asking, let's build a business around services. Is that something that was planned or did it just happen afterwards? Over the last sort of few years, I've had a few people ask me this question and I had the answer of follow what your customers want from you. My natural skill set was in sales and I found it extremely difficult. I mean, you can't pick up the phone and try and sell a singlet or a t-shirt to an individual consumer, right? So my skill set was business to business. So the agency naturally made more sense to us because of our skill set, because I was able to cold call gyms or cold call anybody and discuss starting their own label, starting their own business or just doing their clothing line for them. So it was a natural skill set, but also we had a lot of people coming to us asking for it. And for a long time, we were saying, no, we can't help you, can't help you until we decided to say yes. And then it blew up very quickly. Within our first six months, we did about $250,000 in revenue. With our first year, we'd done a million dollars. So it blew up very quickly once we did that transition. How big did it get, if you don't mind me asking? You don't have to divulge numbers if you don't want it. It got big. (laughs) How many staff, maybe? 32. Wow. um, Yeah, so uh, 2021, we maxed out at 32 staff. We've, over the last seven years, worked with over 700 plus brands. We actively manage about 120 to 150 brands on any given week or day, obviously with maxing out that number of staff. But being a service-based business, there were some questions that we had to ask ourselves and some hard questions, which we had to really ask ourselves as founders. And as we grew, I wish my partner was my best friend. We're now husband and wife. We have two beautiful children, fantastic little girls. So we had to also ask ourselves the hard questions of whether we wanted to continue with this sort of growth at all costs mentality, which is what our mentality was, or whether we wanted to redefine the next five to seven years look like, particularly with COVID coming into play, et cetera. The business we have today is very different to the business we were, say, a year or two ago. Well, I want to dive into your expertise. It is sales, obviously, but you've probably pivoted to brands and developing a brand and launching a brand. So I want to talk a little bit about that. At its core, how do you develop a brand? How does it start out? Not too dissimilar to sales. It just, for me, it was a matter of understanding what part of sales I needed to bring into branding and online selling. Because for us, obviously, we specialize in e-commerce. So most of the things I'm going to refer to are e-commerce related online businesses that are developing products. In particular, our products are swimwear, activewear, accessories in that fitness lifestyle space. We've done some other things, but that's overall our fashion and activewear is where we strive and where we specialize in. There are a lot of similarities when you're trying to sell online to when you're trying to sell offline. And a lot of people don't necessarily think about those things when it comes to branding and understanding why people are going to buy from you. There are the same psychological triggers that you need to have on your website. The product needs to make sense for people. So for me, I'd never sell a house to somebody off the plan if it didn't make sense for the person looking to buy it. And it's the same thing 
with a physical product that you're trying to sell online. You wouldn't sell a pair of leggings to a female who wasn't looking for those particular features of that legging, if that makes sense. So you got yeah. to really think about who this product is for and who this brand is for and how you position it in the marketplace to actually achieve success and get those sales through. Did you have to have difficult conversations with your clients when they thought the brand was targeting one space and trying to develop a product for that target? And you're like, that yeah. ain't going to work because this is the experience <laughs> I have. We're receiving about 500 inquiries a week and our sales team and myself often would be on the phone doing discovery calls with the entrepreneurs looking to start their own clothing brand. And I'd say 90 to 95% of them, when we asked them what the concept was about, who the product was for, were saying the exact same thing. Yeah, I want to create a comfortable brand that's high quality. I can't find what I'm after in the marketplace. I want it to be affordable. It's for everybody. The amount of times people say it's for everybody and it's like, great, but how do you target everybody unless you have a ridiculous budget of yeah. market? But even still, how do you target everybody? It doesn't work. So 90 to 95% of the people that were coming to us, I say it again, it was 500 inquiries a week. Most of them were saying the exact same thing in terms of what their niche was. And it's like, well, it's not a niche if everybody's saying it. You need to define that a lot more. I had a term told to me by a marketing person. I always use it now in our meetings and stuff. And I say, when I try to define a niche to someone, I say, think of it inch wide, mile deep. Think of something so minor and so niche, but go mile deep down that rabbit hole and where they congregate, go on boards, all that kind of stuff. So a lot of people go, no, 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 no. There's not a lot of customers in that niche. They want to go mile wide, yeah. but you can only go inch deep when you go mile wide. I can't remember who told me that, but I use that in my business. And we don't particularly target niches at this stage, but that's something that we're talking about a lot at the moment yeah. in our partners' meetings. And it doesn't always have to be like that. I think it's just important to start off that way. Eventually, you can develop your products to add other niches or other markets so or other industries or other accessories or whatever it might be. But we're talking about startups with limited budgets, with small businesses who you might only be launching five or six products as their hero products to go to market with. So to do that successfully, you need to carve out and understand something specific about this product that's going to solve a problem for people. And a really good example is we did a maternity wear range. It was only five products, all in black, no multiple colors or anything, limited budget. It was about $25,000 to bring this inventory to market. And that was successful because it was very targeted. It wasn't just maternity, it was postpartum and during pregnancy, right? So it was kind of like a product that you would wear during your pregnancy that could translate to after you've had the baby. So that was exciting because my wife was pregnant at the time, so we (laughs) got a whole bunch of re-clothing, which was great. Those type of things are really important to define early on, you know, even from as early as developing the name for your business and the voice and your brand positioning. You've created and probably been involved with many amazing brands. Can you please go through what defines a successful brand? Personally, a successful brand is a business that's giving you what you're after in your own life. If you asked me, in hindsight, would I go and start the agency and let go of my online business? The whole reason I started my online business was because I wanted freedom, fun, adventure. I wanted this idea of wanting to be on the beach with my laptop, (laughs) making millions online, right? That was me leaving sales, a high paying sales job going, well, I want the same money. I just want it online and without having to do anything, right? 
that was the dream, right? That was my dream. And what I ended up with a service-based business with a ton of customers and a really big team, which, so for me, financially, we were successful, but did I feel like we were successful was a different question at that point in time. So for me to define it, one, is it doing what you originally wanted it to do as a business, as an entrepreneur, somebody starting out? That's so important to keep that in mind because we really drove the business for growth almost at all costs. And for us, in hindsight, that probably wasn't the right thing to do, particularly as we were growing a family, as we were becoming husband and wife, all of those sort of things. We put so much pressure on ourselves. So again, now we're a completely different business because we almost redefined what was important and what was successful for us. Success obviously is different for everyone. For the brand, what are your goals and have you achieved your goals? And it's different for everyone. My next question is about marketing and then branding. So can you sort of define the differences between developing a brand and then marketing the brand? Essentially developing the brand is where your creative direction is your creativity, your ideas. There's some key points. I mean, obviously you have your basics, naming, logos, trademarks, brand positioning, voice, then you've got your target market, etc. And a product brand follows stages to bring and develop a product brand to market. It's doing your branding, it's developing your product in line with your branding, and then it's also marketing it correctly. So once you've got the product to market, making sure that your marketing strategy and your sales strategy are aligned. So they're the differences for me. Branding is your initial, what's the brand about? What's the name? What's the logo, etc.? Product is product. What is the product? How do we get it to market? And obviously as an agency, we handled that. Where most people failed is how do we market that product? And most of the time they failed because they didn't have the branding piece and the position correctly. They didn't know who they were targeting in their marketing and they didn't understand their marketing mix. Is it PR? Is it Facebook ads? Is it an email sequence? Is it influencer gifting? A lot of people relied on their friends who were influencers to just gift a few products. It will help a little bit, but it's not going to get you the sales that you need to continue to market and build into a successful long-term business. My next question is about influencers. Obviously, over the years, as Instagram and Facebook and all those things sort of popped up and about and got bigger and bigger, influencer marketing has become more prominent. How is it used in building a brand profile and sales? Is it a really good tool? Is it used all the time? What's your views on influencers? Towards the last two years of our business, we specialize in actually developing brands for the influencers. So our biggest customers were social media influencers who at some point realized that they would stop pushing product for other brands and could actually develop themselves. If you're an influencer and that's the case, they can naturally utilize their existing network to continue to grow their business, but they also have a pre-existing audience. If you're a small business owner or entrepreneur with an idea and you're looking to bring in social media influencers, it's part of your marketing mix. It's not your entire strategy. And I think that's a really important distinction to make. It's not going to be the be and end all. It definitely works. Absolutely. It's working less and less these days because there's authenticity and the word influencer is probably thrown around a little bit too loosely. Is this person who you're gifting or paying to do a post actually going to influence buying decisions or is this just someone who has a following because 
they're pretty or whatever it yeah. might be. Yeah? And so they're trying to cash in on that. And maybe they're trying to cash in on that. And you need to be very mindful of alignment with your brand when you're going to an influencer. Sometimes micro-influencers actually work better for brands than the bigger influencers that you have to pay for. And we talked a little bit about e-commerce. Obviously, most of what you do is sold online. What tip would you give a client of ours that's got a product or brand They've either got a bricks and mortar store, but they're trying to really focus on their online sales. What tip would you give our listeners that are trying to go down that e-commerce path, push a product from an online space? The first one would be to find the right platform. There's a lot of people who are trying to do an e-commerce product-based business using old, outdated platforms because they're cheaper. And I don't want to say the names, <laughs> but our recommendation if you're a product-based business is to move into a Shopify platform. It's e-commerce based. It's a little bit more expensive, but it is definitely easier to use. So the platform is key from a usability, ongoing updates and functionality. The second part of it is to actually have somebody who's external to the business. So somebody who doesn't know who your business is, you don't know what you do, doesn't know what your product is about review or just jump online and actually look at if they can find a product because you'd be so surprised how many times we see websites and it's like I can't even find the black singlet that's your bestseller like I can't find it why can't I find it? I have to search for it there's a process you know there's some key psychological triggers that a website needs to have in order for it to convert well. And if you don't know that information, you're better off paying an agency to do that work as opposed to trying to do it yourself. I probably know the answer to this question, but what percentage of your clients solely use e-commerce to sell their products? All of them, 100%. I think we've worked with probably three nationwide. They're global now. So three global brands that have brick and mortar stores. All others are e-commerce only. Do you find that the consumers are now completely happy with that? They're happy to buy online, try some leggings on, doesn't work, send it back, back. they don't care, it's all good. Correct, depending on your refund and returns policy, of course. (laughs) Of course. um, So there's a whole other strategy to that. But yeah, 100%, I think it's the way of the future. And there's definitely benefits in having a brick and mortar store. There's benefits in doing pop-ups, particularly as a new brand. People want to feel and touch the fabrics and things. And that's probably the most difficult conversation to have online is... What does it feel like? How does it fit? And returns are so important. But for me, it's a no-brainer. Like it's, it's the way, especially with COVID, it's just changed the buying behavior of not just the millennials and younger, but everybody. My mum online shops now and she's 65 plus and she's comfortable buying things online now because she's had to. So it's really opened up a huge demographic to the marketplace, particularly online. And if you're not online, you know, you're missing out on that. And with technology moving so fast, Web3 and all that kind of stuff, where do you see the online stores and e-commerce being in the next five years? Are we going to do VR, Google glasses? How are we going to shop online? What do you reckon? I don't think it's going to be that extreme if I'm 100% honest with you. I think they're all amazing ideas and maybe I'm completely wrong and five years from now I'll regret what I say right now. But I actually, for me, I think there's some key technological advancements coming out where, for example, you'd be able to put on some glasses and actually look down at your legs and see what those leggings look like you wearing them. There's a lot of watch places already doing that online now where they give you a printout and you stick the printout on your wrist and then you hover your phone over it and it'll show you through the phone what that watch would look like on your wrist. Wow. Those type of technologies I think are going to come into play. Where I really see us, how we're actually going to shop in a couple of years is 
I think will stop coming into separate platforms from our social media. I think social media is will very quickly become a marketplace where you are able to buy directly from that. Instagram is a really good example. You can already shop and click on products from Instagram. I feel like will actually slowly become a checkout service as well. So they can collect your purchasing behavior and information like that. So not only will you be able to click on the product that takes you to the website to make the purchase, you'll be able to click on the product and check out through your Instagram app specifically. That's probably the next major milestone that we'll see in online shopping. And to be honest with you, I actually think that would be awesome because as a business owner, I don't mind going on social media and having a look at Instagram and so on, but people just want to search, buy things that they like. And if the things that they want pops up on Instagram, if they can press two buttons to buy that, it's the yep. right price. It could be what they were looking for for weeks or months. Rather than having to go to their website, da, 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 the convenience is yeah. good. And you'd be able to buy from multiple merchants at once in one checkout. It's already there. It's just not here there in Australia. So there is already a product tab on Instagram where you can look at products available for sale from all of the different platforms who have products on Instagram. It's just the checkout experience is not there yet, but they are already trialing it in the US. It's definitely coming. That's just amazing to see how technology has influenced business behavior and even consumer behavior. So that's going to be exciting. I wish um, people would just buy tax returns online, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way, but it's all good. So obviously you've done amazing stuff for other brands and launched lots of brands, but overall you're a business owner and you've run your own business. What challenges have you faced across your journey in building a business that's gone from zero to 32 staff? What was the biggest challenge during that period? The challenge of being a business owner is one thing. There's also the challenge of having a service-based business. For us, there was the added pressure of having a product-based business with international supply chains, international suppliers also involved. I can share some stories where we actually opened a 850 square meter warehouse in Dongguan, China. We had our own employees on our own payroll there and running the show. And we woke up one morning to learn that the employees had locked, had put padlocks and chains around our warehouses with some stock inside held ransom, as well as some stock that they'd literally stolen, put on a truck overnight and taken to another warehouse. So that was a major challenge to say the least. And that was pure bribery and blackmail. So there's the product side of things, which is extremely challenging, but to relate it back to something that most people would experience as a business owner, I think for me in hindsight, the biggest challenge that I've personally faced is that I lost the reason why we started and chased top line money revenue, as opposed to chasing joy and the reasons why we started in the first place and why we moved out of it and staying true to yourself and not letting top line revenue be your key driver unless you've got an exit plan but I think also even if you do have an exit plan what happens if you don't exit in the time frame so for us it was like work your butt off until you get there and and then we exit and when we get there we'll be happy or we'll be happier and that was probably the biggest challenge for us is because you can't get there unless you're happy it's the other way around And so that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned in the last five years is be led by joy towards achieving your goals. That's amazing. Is that what changed you to flip the model? You said your model's changed now. You're much more. recently. That's kind of why you went from 32 staff to how many staff do you have now? There's multiple reasons. I can't say I made that decision, (laughs) you know, wholeheartedly. 
all on my own without the influence of COVID and everything else. But this year we will sit around 12. So it's a much more manageable team. But more importantly, we're looking at how do we bring back the idea of having our own brands with all of the lessons that we've just learned over the last eight years. So our next three to five years is actually continuing the agency, but we're extremely selective with the labels that we bring on board. From an ethical standpoint, we feel like we know who's going to be successful or what's going to be successful. And if we really don't believe in it, we won't take it on anymore, which is really nice to have a distinction as an internal values as a business. We only bring on maybe one new brand now every three months, if that. And in the background, we're developing a whole new business model where we actually are in the marketplace ourselves with our own labels, whether they're founded or co-founded with high profile celebrities and influencers. That's where we see our next three to five years. That's where we're moving to actually very already move there and have a couple in the marketplace. But we want to build out that portfolio moving forward. What advice would you give an entrepreneur that is about to launch a new brand or business? They've come to you, you've taken the call. They might not necessarily be the right fit for your business and you probably don't want to take on that job. But he says, Simon, can you please give me one tip? What should I do regardless whether you say you're going to work with me or not? But what would you tell him? Say, look, give me one tip. The answer I'd give you is go for it. Just do it. Because it doesn't matter what your plan is right now. It's all going to change when you start doing it. And so many people get stuck in the detail of trying to plan out the perfect business and there is no such thing. And you learn the lessons along the way and there will be difficulties along the way. So get mentors or surround yourself with people who can assist you through them. If you're anything like me, you won't listen to your mentor. You'll learn the hard way. (laughs) But that would be my advice. My last question is more around... Going back onto this China story, because we can't uh-huh. leave you oh, no. <laughs> not knowing how that ended. So uh, they locked you up, not locked you up, but they locked the factory, they'd yep. stolen the clothes. What happened? How did that end up? Relationships in business are such an important thing. And one of our suppliers who was our first supplier, it was the supplier that actually started with us eight years ago when we developed our own activewear range. I called him because we have the best relationship with him. And I said, hey, this is the situation. He goes, oh, look, it happens all the time. No problems. We will help you out with it. And we had to pay the ransom, long story short. Like there's no legals or anything that's going to help you there. Plus, when I say they stole our stock, it wasn't my inventory. It was my clients, right? It was we were storing it because what we do is we produce goods in multiple factories and then consolidate in a warehouse. That way the factory can't hold you ransom. We learned that one the hard way. Yeah. But then they hold us ransom from the warehouse perspective. So... Long story short, we ended up paying $50,000 or so. That is ridiculous. To our own people who are on our payroll as employees overseas. Yeah, we ended up paying that, but we just did it through our supplier so that we at least knew we have the stock. We did go to court with it and we just were throwing good money after bad money. The lawyers were just as bad over there. So we just copped it on the chin. We can do a whole other podcast on stories, man. We might need to. Yeah, we did one where we transferred $60,000 to a supplier who said they never got the money. We, long story short, had found out, you know, the supplier had been hacked and we did get the money, but they lost it. And they wouldn't give us the goods until we sent another $60,000. Yeah, I can, I can give you stories all day. Was that a big point of difference for the people that came to us? That's why people that came to us. You're good at developing the brand, yep. you create the products. 
But really, you assisted and controlled the warehouse and developing it and shipping it and all the rest of it. We're an Australian company. So as an Australian business, you're someone who's working with an Australian, but you're protected by Australian consumer law. So I can't tell you, sorry, you've given me $60,000. I can't send you your goods. Mm. And morally, I wouldn't do that. So a lot of people came to us purely from the protection piece because of worst case scenario, they knew we would refund them the money and we would deal with the supply chain and issues. And these are suppliers. This is an important distinction to make. These are suppliers who we vetted, who we've gone and visited in person, who have ethical standards, compliance certificates. These are not random people that we found off the shelf, like on Alibaba or something like that. These are people we've sourced and vetted and met and had dinners and lunch with, yeah? So this is a challenge. This is product games, this is a production game, and that's partly why our agency exists is to protect people from that. It's unfortunately sometimes how it works when dealing with overseas suppliers. It's a great business model. Is there many other businesses that do or does what you do? We were the first in Australia and we won a number of awards. We, Yetter and I, were Entrepreneur of the Year, I think it was 2018 in Melbourne manufacturing space. We were the 84th fastest growing company also in 2018 in Australian Financial Review. No, to answer your question, there wasn't. There are now. There's plenty. After we had the media and all of those sort of things, a lot of people, actually a funny story, we had one person copy us so much that when you clicked on the privacy policy of their website, it would actually take you to the privacy policy of our website. Oh, no. Because they forgot to remove the links. (laughs) That is so funny. (laughs) That was a Brazilian company actually who did that. So they co- an international company copied you and set up internationally? Yeah, correct. We were operating in 12 different countries. We've supplied to 12 different countries around the world. We're very well known. We even made a list of, I still remember the article, it was something like the most successful fashion label you've never heard of because we were in the background. Like our name is Sly Letica. We work on the Sly in the background. I mean, if you ask my wife, she'll tell you Sly stands for Simon Loves Yetta. Ah, um, yes. Right? I but, love that. But, uh, for the whole origination of the name was also because we worked in the background. We didn't want people to know about us, but we got so much media coverage where we were even in an article in New York who listed us amongst Lululemon, Under Armour, Nike, Puma, Sly Letica as like the top 10 producers of activewear globally because we produce for so many brands we've created something like in excess of probably three or four hundred million dollars worth of retail goods in the marketplace that's their value it's not what we made it's not our revenue no but the value of those goods in the marketplace over their years how proud must you be though that we'll do an exercise you and i survive last week and then we're pulling up our revenue numbers and I actually messaged my wife, you know how much money we've made over the last eight years from our top level? Not how much is in our pocket, but it's incredible to think about where we came from, where it was working as software development for IBM, I believe. And I was in a sales role to go and build the team and develop it is why I say my advice to entrepreneurs would be to just start and learn along the way. But there's a lot of things you can do to mitigate the problems that we had so that you don't have to fall into those pitfalls like we did. That is awesome. I could go on for hours. We're going to have to get you back on the show, but we have run out of time. I've learned so much about brand and development of brand. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, actually. We'd love to come back and hopefully the listeners find a little bit of small gold nugget somewhere in there that they can take home and learn from. I'm sure. I think we've got to do a session on just manufacturing oh, man, would love and to. dealing with overseas suppliers. That would be an oh, awesome episode. Oh, good luck with that. That'd be amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'd love to do that. And, and there's a lot of lessons there as well. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks a lot. This is The Bottom Line. 
a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952, and we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing, and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's The Bottom Line.